0: Boom, shake the room, Fire Nation, JLD here with an audio masterclass on Africa emerging opportunities, and exciting business lessons. To drop these value bombs, I have brought John Paul Iwo Orha on the mic. He is a business transformation specialist who helps entrepreneurs start, grow, and turn around businesses in Africa. In 2018, LinkedIn recognized him as a top voice on startups and entrepreneurships. And Fire Nation, we'll be talking about why, why you need to keep Africa on your radar. The most interesting business opportunities in Africa right Now and in the near term future, the biggest mistakes people make when they try to do business in Africa and so much more when we get back from thanking our sponsors. Grow your business with online courses by jumping into Thinkific's five-day course challenge today. Over five days, you'll hear from inspiring speakers, including myself, who will walk you through the whole process so you'll know exactly where you're headed. Sign up for this free challenge today at thinkific.com fire. That's t h dot slash fire. Flippa is the world's leading marketplace to buy and sell digital real estate, including websites, e-commerce stores, SaaS businesses, apps, and other online businesses. Get access to a free instant valuation, plus insights on how to improve sellability for your business at flippa.com slash fire. John, Paul, say what's up to Fire Nation and share something interesting about yourself that most people don't know.
1: What's up, Fire Nation? I'm Almost on fire, not literally. I'm very excited <laughs> to be here. It's been it's been seven years since the very first time I listened to Entrepreneur on Fire, and I've never really missed it. And um, I'm really excited to be here. One thing um, I I have about me that most people don't know is, I think this started at ten years old, and that was the first time I came across the term ambidextrous. I got to find out that it's um, used to describe the ability to use both hands, the ability to use both hands, the right and the left hand. And it took me down a rabbit hole all these years, because interestingly, uh, I'm sure most people don't know, maybe just about 10% of the population is left-handed. And there are very many exciting, interesting people who are left-handed. But what actually struck me was the way left-handed people have been treated over over time. I'm naturally right-handed, you know, and I thought it would be cool to be able to use both hands because I was writing a bucket list of things I should be able to do by a certain age to be an interesting person. And I thought it would be nice to be able to use uh, the two hands. But then it got me down this rabbit hole and I I started to discover a couple of things. For example, in medieval times, um, people who were left-handed were arrested and sometimes burnt at the stake because they were accused of devil worship and things like that. The Romans taught us the the art of the handshake. But one other thing the Romans taught us, the ancient Romans taught us, was the art of wearing the wedding ring on the left hand. But then the reason behind it is that the the wedding ring is supposed to ward off the evil powers that are more or less thought to come through, you know, the left hand, you know, things like that. Several interesting, for example, in the US, the very first left-handed president, James Garfield, was able to write with both hands. He could write Greek, Greek with his right hand and Latin with his left. In 1992, we had something very interesting. All the presidential runners from the Democratic Party, the Republican, and the Independents Ross Perot, All of them were left-handed. Wow. That was George Bush Senior and Bill Clinton and Ross Perot. All of them were left-handed. And then we had the we had three consecutive U.S. presidents who were left-handed: George, um, Ronald Reagan. We had um, Bush Sr. and we had Bill Clinton. Now, of course, Obama is is left-handed. So very interesting thing. So I learned the art. I started with brushing my teeth with my left hand. And boy, <laughs> I, I caused a lot of damage, you know, in the first few weeks. But then I continued and continued for about two to three years. And I mastered that. And then I moved on to writing with my left hand. And, you know, since then, you know, I, I got married. and I was hoping I would, have a, I would have a child who's left-handed um, I missed it with my first um, child. But then the second one turned out to be left-handed. And I see left-handed people as very cool people. And if you look at what they've achieved, most celebrities, Brad Pitts, Angelina Jolie, Keanu Reeves, I could go on and on, Julia Roberts, many of them, Hugh Jackman, many of them are left-handed. And if you th- really look at it, they're just 10% of the population. But then when you get to the height of achievement, from the highest office in the land to more or less the cream de la cream of um of um, celebrity status and all that, they dominated. But these guys are just 10% of of the population. And I think it's important in this age of diversity, where we tend to look at diversity through the lens of race, through the lens of religion and tribe and all that, it's important to remember that people who are left-handed are discriminated even in society, in today's, even though it's subtle, for example, in in, in product design, golf clubs, um, cup holders in cars, at the checkout counters, most of those things are designed for right-handed people. And it's important to realize that we have this uh, segment of our population who we don't really factor, factor in. So for me, the left hand right now, somebody who can now use both hands, represents rebellion, represents creativity, represents uniqueness and represents being special. So that's one thing I know most people don't know, but it's something I revel in that I'm now ambidextrous. I'm able to use both hands.
0: Well, this is fascinating stuff. And Fire Nation, I'm sure from my little introduction with the title, which is Africa, Emerging Opportunities and Exciting Business Lessons, you did not expect that little rant by John Paul, but he's a very interesting guy. In fact, I get over 400 pitches every single month for the eight spots of Entrepreneurs on Fire. So it's quite difficult to, to get through my team and then even get to me and then to you know to go through the process and actually get selected. And his email was that special, that it made it through all of these processes, got to me, and then of course, now we're speaking here today, so of course he was selected. And I'm actually gonna have my team um, go ahead and post that email because it's really cool to show you what can happen when you go above and beyond and get really personal and, and share some really cool things about yourself. So we'll post it on the show notes page. So if you wanna see John Paul in action and how he ended up getting on Entrepreneurs On Fire after listening for seven years to almost every single episode, you can have to go over to the show notes page and check that out. Now we are talking about Africa and I wanna know, John Paul, why? Why do we need to keep Africa on our radar?
1: Very interesting question. So one, one thing that keeps me loyal to Entrepreneurs on Fire is the quality of stories and experiences of entre- entrepreneurs who have made it. That's one big reason why I listen. And I'm also sure that's why many people listen to the show. But the interesting thing is what, being an entrepreneur means that you're able to live in the now and also prepare for the future. So it's almost impossible to think about the future and not think about Africa. And here's why. When you look at the the population of the world, Africa currently has the youngest population of people right now. Sixty percent of people on the continent are below the age of 25. So this is more or less looking at China before China became China of today. China, more or less the second biggest economy in the world the factory of the world and all of that. So you can imagine that people who saw China before China became China are actually the ones who got in on the the meat of the game. So that's exactly what Africa represents now. But more importantly, there have been events in the past couple of years that have put Africa in the centerpiece. The The most recent one, which is very interesting, is COVID. Now, all this time, most companies have built their supply chains around China and Southeast Asia. But then when COVID hit, it was obvious that supply chains were very vulnerable. And if you're going to diversify your supply chain, it's impossible not to look at Africa. If you're looking at affordable labor, if you're looking at um, the proximity of the continent to either North America or Europe, and what are the means? Most countries on the continent either speak English or French. And these are more or less global languages if you're going to penetrate any of the big markets. And it's really now happening because what the Chinese are doing is the, the, the Chinese market is starting to specialize in advanced high-tech stuff. And most of those low-cost production that brought business, the whole offshoring from America, we're now beginning to see going to places like Vietnam, Bangladesh, and other countries in Southeast Asia. But then you, you cannot forego a population of 1.3 billion people, which is what Africa presents. And what we're now seeing is we're, we're beginning to see some companies set up Um, operations within the African continent, places like Rwanda, Ethiopia, um, Ghana, Senegal. And what they're doing is they are preparing, these guys are digging in for the future. And one interesting thing that's happened in the last four years in America is the pivot on Africa. So in America, when you think about Africa, the image that comes to mind is charity and philanthropy. Africa needs help and help and help. So the approach of the Americans all this time and even Europe has been to help Africa, give Africa aid, give them all of that. What the Chinese are doing is they're coming with more or less trade and business and things like that. So what Africa needs really, because you, you, you have this population of very young people, enterprising people. I didn't even mention that 60 percent of the world's un- uncultivated arable land is in Africa. So in most parts of the world, we've maxed out the land space. Yes, we're doing, we're using technology and other means to increase the yield on the land. But when we're talking about virgin space, virgin land, arable land, most of it is still in Africa, still not cultivated. And we're looking at a global population that is set to double by at least um, by, by the time we reach um, 2050 or more, according to, to the UN. And if we do not keep pace with global, with population growth, with the amount of food we're producing, then the world is going to be faced with serious threat of hunger. So these are just a few examples of why Africa needs to be on your radar. Yeah, so if you're thinking about now, it's great. But if you're thinking about the future, you need to remember that even before COVID hit, five of the top, um, the, the top 10 fastest growing economies in the world were in Africa. These are not really things we see in the mainstream media. But why I'm happy things are changing is that the approach of the Chinese in Africa, though controversial, is a bit different. These guys come in here, boots on the ground and they're dealing with the market. The previous relationship with Africa has been to deal with Africa's government. Give African governments money, foreign aid, and they will develop Africa. And for 50 years, it's never happened. Instead, it's helped to enhance corruption, a sense of entitlement and dependency. So most of the problems never get solved because there's free money, free money flowing in from Europe, free money flowing in from North America. So what people like us exist to do is to show that the people we should be voting for with our money, is the entrepreneurs. They are the ones who have the incentive and the motivation to really solve Africa's problems. And guess what? Global money is starting to come in. I'm sure many of you, many of our listeners on, on, on Entrepreneurs of Fire know Stripe. It's a big um, global player in, in payments. Um, Stripe just acquired an African company, a Nigerian company, for $200 million. That's a major exit. And it's stories like this that are starting to prove that Africa is not... Uh, A charity case. Africa is an opportunity. The problems we're trying to solve through aid actually need to be solved through entrepreneurship. And in the process, we create more jobs, create more wealth, and create a bigger and happier world.
0: John, let's talk about what you see as the most interesting opportunities that exist right now. I mean, you talked about a lot of opportunities. I love how you really are hammering home the fact that entrepreneurship is what is going to turn Africa around and really bring That continent into the, you know, as we move forward into 2021 and beyond. But specifically, what are the one or two most interesting and fascinating opportunities in the business world that you're seeing right now?
1: The first interesting one is food. And more or less, I touched about it earlier in terms of Africa's potential to produce food, because right now we're looking for the next food basket of the world. And one interesting thing that Africa offers is the area of what we've, we now know as superfoods. So for example, there's a grain that's grown in West Africa. It's a grain called phonio. Now this grain is so rich in cultural significance. For example, when the tombs of ancient Egyptians are, are more or less open or ex- excavated, um, amongst um, other materials like honey and things like that, fonio. Fonio FONIO is one of the grains that, that the ancient Egyptians actually put in the, the pyramids, in the burial chambers of their dead pharaohs. That's to tell you how important it was back then. This is like one of the longest grown, one of the um, um, grains that has been grown the longest in history, almost 5,000 years. Now the reason why fonio is important is when you look at the American market and the European market, more or less the developed world, and you see how important health and wellness is. This whole thing about eating organic food, um, gluten-free food, and things like that. You now start to see that a food like fonio is actually superfood. But in Africa, it's grown by poor people. In Africa, it's eaten by poor people. Then I start to see what America has done with a, um, a grain, a cereal like qu- um, quinoa which is more or less a breakfast cereal. Before Quinoa became like a blockbuster cereal in America, it, it, it had the same profile as Fonio in South America. So what we're beginning to see is, for example, there's a celebrity chef in New York. His name is Pierre Thiam. He's now taken Fonio, He's packaged it, not just in its physical format, but in the narrative that's used to sell it. And last year, I think it was early this year, he got a national distribution across the United States in Whole Foods, you know, to distribute this kind of food. And Fono is just one. I know many of your listeners may be familiar with Moringa, which is another superfood. It grows in the wild in Africa. We really take it for granted over here. But then we've seen entrepreneurs come in here and repackage it into something that's selling you know, like a, a lot because it resonates, it resonates with the health and wellness movement, the big trend going on in the US.
0: And that's really huge right now. So many people are really passionate about the superfoods and you know the, the quality of foods they're putting in their mouth. And that's why I love how you talked about how you know, we're looking for the next food basket of the world. So that's really fascinating. So John paul one more thing before we move on
1: one more opportunity will be solar. It will be impossible to talk about opportunities in Africa without talking about solar. For those people who don't know, more than 50% of the population still doesn't have access to the grid. And guess what? A lot of the money that Africa has been receiving over the last five decades as foreign aid has been to more or less provide this infrastructure. The problem is, if you look at electricity through the conventional lens, where you need to have some kind of national grid that everybody has to then connect to. It's going to be almost impossible to get all parts of Africa connected, because they're very remote areas, very rural areas and things like that. So the solar revolution that's going on in Africa right now is like' a, is like a square peg in a square hole because people don't need to connect to the to the to the grid, which is very expensive. Just having a solar panel on your roof, we're not beginning to see important changes. People can stay awake for longer. Kids can do their homework into the night. Um, small businesses can stay open and sell more. And it's been growing like, you know, like gangbusters. So the interesting thing about solar here is that um, most parts of Africa s- sits in the equator. So we don't lack for sunlight. We have like 300 plus days wow. of free God-given sunlight yeah. every year. Yeah, you see? And then we, we, we don't need to keep digging up all these dirty fuels and things like that. Even though up till now, Many parts of the continent still don't have that. So these are local solutions to local problems. And I'm hoping later on in the interview, I'm going to throw some light because Africa really doesn't work as a cut and paste or copy and paste because there are some nuances to working on the ground because you have to tailor the solution to the problem on the ground, which is what I think um, this whole policy of foreign aid and things like that have been getting wrong. But the entrepreneurs on the ground get it. Entrepreneurs get it because they know there's an incentive to solving a problem. And if you don't solve the problem the way the market wants, the market won't give you their money. So those are exactly the foot soldiers we need on the ground to, to, to make the change. And it's not just Africans. We're seeing all sorts of people from around the world, particularly the U.S., Canada, and you come here to solve interesting and frustrating problems. See, this is
0: fascinating. Like I personally love this solar revolution that's going on because it just makes so much gosh darn sense. Fire Nation. I mean, you know, instead of like stringing wires like across mountains and valleys and having the damage that's going to happen to that, and digging up these dirty fuels that John Paul's talking about. I mean, why are we not just slapping a solar panel on somebody's roof and allowing them the natural sun to power what they need? I mean. It's fantastic. I can tell you about twelve months ago. I actually went solar in my house here. I have forty-one uh, panels, and I have three Tesla Powerwalls in my garage. So I'm essentially wow. off grid, and it's just a great feeling. That like right now, as I'm talking to you, John Paul, my entire house, everything that I do is powered by the Puerto Rican sun. And you know, we we also are, are quite close to the equator. We get a lot of sunny days per year, so it's very ideal. And why not use this natural wonder that we have? So Fire Nation, we have so much more valuable stuff coming up when we get back from thinking our sponsors. Considering selling your business or wondering where to even start when it comes to finding out how much your online business is worth? Meet Flippa, the world's leading marketplace to buy and sell digital real estate, including websites, e-commerce stores, SaaS businesses, apps, and other online businesses. Their mission to give every business owner a pathway to exit. So how do they do it? For starters, visit Flippa.com/fire and get access to a free instant valuation for your online business, plus insights on how to improve sellability. Flippa has more historical sales data than anyone else, and they are the largest market marketplace globally for buying and selling sites, stores, apps, and online businesses. So yeah, their valuations are accurate. Once you list for free on Flippa, you'll be connected peer-to-peer. That's right, buyers and sellers meet on the platform, negotiate and exchange funds and assets. With over 30,000 new buyers joining Flippa Monthly and over 300,000 buyers globally, it's no wonder Flippa is the number one marketplace to buy and sell digital real estate. Get access to a free instant valuation, plus insights on how to improve sellability for your business at Flippa.com. fire That's F-L-I-P-P-A dot com slash fire. Thinkific is the best platform to create, market, and sell your own online courses, and we speak from personal experience. Since moving our online courses over to Thinkific in 2017, we've welcomed thousands of new students into our courses. If you're currently training people or considering it as a business model, and you've got a book, blog, coaching practice, YouTube channel, or podcast, then turning that into an online course can help you reach a wider audience, build revenue, and make a bigger impact. And Thinkific is the perfect partner to have by your side. Plus, Thinkific has an exclusive offer for you Fire Nation, to join their free five-day course challenge. Over the five days, you'll hear from inspiring speakers who have first hand experience in building a thriving online course business, including myself. Get ready to take all the guesswork out of getting started. One student who recently finished the challenge said, this is an excellent course. It keeps you moving and takes a lot of the intimidation and confusion out of the process. I would highly recommend this challenge. Sign up for this free challenge today at thinkific.com fire. That's T-H-I-N-K-I-F-I-C dot com slash fire. John Paul, we're back and I want to talk about the biggest mistakes that people make when trying to do business in Africa. I mean, you just got to be, you know, nervous and a little trepidatious when you don't know what you're doing, which is why it's great when we have people like yourself coming on who have experience, who have knowledge that can share with us what to avoid, the biggest mistakes that people are making so that we can learn from those mistakes.
1: I think the very first one would be Of course, Africa suffers from the impression problem. And it's important to understand where this is coming from. If you don't see Africa as a poor place, you don't have the incentive to more or less give donations and charity. So I think there's an industry that benefits from that perception. So the very first thing I I need to get out of the way is, yes, Africa is poor, but not in the way you think. So anybody who's run a business before knows there are two ways to maximize profit. You can maximize profit by your margins or you can maximize profit by your volumes. So guess what? Most of these businesses that are doing well in Africa are not working on the margin side because m- many people on the continent just don't have the money. But on the volume side, Africa is huge. This is like another China or another India. Because for, let, let's use, for example, Paystack, the, the financial services company that was acquired by Stripe for $200 million. All they do is transactions, but then little percentages, 0.1% of a transaction, just, you know. Spread that out across millions of customers. Then you start to see where the money is. So this perception that Africa is poor, yes, it's correct, but not in the way that you think. And that's because you can still pull the lever of volume. And that is the secret to the success of many of the entrepreneurs we're seeing here, from solar to financial services, to urban logistics, to education, to all sorts. So that is one thing to get out of the way. The second common mistake people make is they think, Since it's a poor continent, since people just don't get it, since they are backward, let's go use what we have that works for us in the West or in China or in Asia and just copy and paste it on the continent. It doesn't really work that way. For example, one of the biggest innovations on the African continent is mobile money. Now, that is the ability to use your phone to transfer money and complete transactions. Mobile money is run on USSD, which is 2G technology. Right now, we're we're talking about 5G. But that is 2G technology. And Africa has, African entrepreneurs have done amazing things with 2G technology, which is a legacy technology. In fact, that technology was exported to a place like Afghanistan. So during the U.S. occupation and things like that, where um, Af- Afghan soldiers had to be paid it was that same technology that was still used there to make sure that people got their money on time. So here, there's there's a concept of frugal innovation that's been practiced here. It doesn't have to be the the cutting edge technology or more or less AI or advanced stuff. We're still going to get there. But what Africans are very good at, especially its entrepreneurs, is being able to work with limited resources and achieving amazing things from that. So that's one other way. The third way is... This this distance doesn't help. If the only lens through which you see Africa is what you see in the news, then you're basically missing the script. So beyond tourism, it's important that when you you pay a visit here, look beyond the safari and the elephants and the lions and all those things and really see what's going on. Because in my own um, honest assessment, that is one thing the Chinese are very good at. For example, I'm making this call from Lagos in Nigeria. If an American comes to Nigeria, there are certain areas parts of town, I expect they're going to stay. And that's, of course, there are many considerations, security and things like that. But when the Chinese come, they go into the hinterland. The hinterland. They actually go to feel the pulse of the environment. Yes, there are risks and things like that. But um, John, I know you know that one of the keys to success in any business is being able to know your market. Yeah. And you can't know your market from the, from from, the, from a distance or through the news or what you watch on TV. You actually have to come feel the pulse for yourself.
0: So John Paul, you've learned a ton of business lessons from listening to Entrepreneurs on Fire over the seven plus years you've been listening. I mean, the thousands and thousands of guests that you've heard talk about their successful ventures, their struggles, their obstacles, their challenges, their lessons learned. Now it's your turn. You're the guest on Entrepreneurs on Fire. So what are the most important business lessons that you've learned while working with entrepreneurs in Africa?
1: The first big lesson I've learned, because I work with a lot of people who are trying to start businesses and other ones too who have already started businesses. One thing I've learned is an idea is very, very far away from a real business. In fact, an idea is very is closest to a fantasy or a hallucination than it is a real business, because there's a lot of work that's required to make that transition. From idea to business. And there's a mindset side and there's the mechanics of actually running the business. So one thing I tell my clients is it's not just okay for you to fantasize about what you're going to do. You need to be sure that there is a gap in the market. You need to be sure that there are people who are willing to pay for it. And you need to to go beyond the talk and actually move ahead to do something. So during your introduction, you, you mentioned something about how my email struck you and things like that. So in the end, it didn't cost me money. All it took was for me to, of course, I benefited from being a loyal follower of yours and and being a member of the the EO Fire community. But what it took was sitting down and thinking about the outcome and what I'm trying to achieve. And it's that level of resourcefulness I really don't see in a lot of people. And there's one thing I have to blame. And that is this this whole thing about just pursue your passion. So Passion is necessary for success, but it's not enough because anybody who succeeds has to do some things they don't like, some things they don't want, but they just have to do them. So discipline tastes good when you already have discipline. But before you have discipline, nobody wants to wake up by four o'clock in the morning to go take a run. So if you've developed the discipline, you like it. But before you do that, it's going to be difficult. So if there's any lesson I want anybody to take away from here... Uh, It it will be this. Doing what you want to do will not get you to success. Along the way, you have to do some things you don't like to do, you don't want to do. For some people, it's sales. For some people, it's handling the books and looking at finances. For some people, it's leading people. So some people work really well alone, but they they, they find it difficult to work with other people. So you need to be able to get out of your comfort zone and expand. If not, success is just going to remain an elusive thing on your horizon that you, you just keep chasing, but you never catch up to.
0: John Paul, do you have your own podcast? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. It's called the Small Starter
1: Business Podcast. I forgot to mention, John, if you will allow me. Now, one big lesson I've learned, which is like my philosophy in, in, in business, is that it's important to start small. There is a reason every big tree you see starts from a seed. There's a reason why all of us adults started as a baby. It's a natural law. It's a natural process. If you want to beat the odds, you have to take little steps. So what, does, what, what small starter means is that running a business or like any other thing you do, you're going to take hits. But when you start big, you take big risks, except you've already grown the muscle for that. If you take big risks, you may get knocked down and it will be difficult for you to stand up again because you've lost a lot. And it's not just the financial losses. Your self-confidence and your self-image is going to take a big hit. But when you start small, you're taking incremental steps. The interesting thing is that you're going to take hits, but you're going to take hits you can recover from. So that is the approach I always um, encourage my people. It's not exciting. It's not sexy. It's not going to get you on the back of Forbes. But that is the natural projection of things. Most people want to start big. They look at the ExxonMobiles and the Coca-Cola's of this world and the Facebooks. But they don't look at the history. All these businesses started as small businesses. You don't just grow overnight. So my, my philosophy is that every big thing starts small. Every major multinational corporation was once a small business. And if you, if you, if you look at entrepreneurship as a journey, rather than some destination or something to take off your list, then you're more likely to make it. So I always put it out there so that I can screen the people who work for me. So my podcast is a small starter business podcast and i guess every other thing starts from smallstarter.com www.smallstarter.com
0: i love that so fire nation if you want to learn more about what john paul has to share his passion his knowledge of of course africa but of course entrepreneurship in general then definitely take that call to action and jp before we let you go is there anything else you want to share with fire nation any other way they can connect with you
1: Yes. So yeah, this is my best part. I've gotten so much from you, John, gotten so much from the community and I've been waiting for this moment to give something back. So all my, for almost a decade right now, I've been working with the law of entrepreneurs and one common area I know people get stuck is in looking, identifying like solid opportunities and then even choosing between opportunities. So a couple of years back, I published a a book. I co-authored a book to my surprise, you know, It's really doing well on Amazon. It's one of like the top rated books on doing business in Africa on the idea, identification and opportunity side. It's called 101 Ways to Make Money in Africa. So I don't want to toot my own horn. People can go there and go read the reviews for themselves and and see for themselves. But for the EO Fire community, I've been waiting for this moment. I have 100 free copies, digital copies for download only for members of the Entrepreneur on Fire community. You can download it at smallstarter.com slash fire it's smallstarter.com slash fire so that's exactly where the journey starts if you if you've had the wrong impression about Africa or it's been a distant place to you you don't understand anything about it this is like a very easy and risk-free way to get started download the book fill up your mind Um, if you're like the typical reader your brain is going to be sparking with a lot of interesting ideas and then we can we can take it from there when you make up your mind to take the next step so I thank you very much, John. And I hope um, um, in my own little way, this book is really going to enrich a lot of people in your audience. So the first 100 people who head over to smallstarter.com fire can download the, you know, the, the digital copy for free.
0: John Paul, you have been a pleasure to chat with here today. And Fire Nation, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You've been hanging out with JPI and JLD today. So let's keep up that heat head over to eofire.com just type john j-o-h-n in the search bar and the show notes page will pop up with everything that we've talked about here today best show notes in the biz and of course if you want to read that email that john sent on over go to the show notes page because that'll be there and uh, it's quite a special one and the strong call to action fire nation is to head over to smallstarter.com slash fire the first hundred people to do so will get the copy of his book for free John Paul, thank you for sharing your truth, your knowledge, your value with Fire Nation today. For that, we salute you and we'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you, John. Hey, Fire Nation. Today's value bomb content was brought to you by John and hey, Fire Nation. My first traditionally published book is hitting the shelves March 23rd of 2021, and I am fired up to say the least. The title is The Common Path to Uncommon Success. The Common Path to Uncommon Success. Your roadmap to financial freedom and fulfillment and pre-orders, Fire Nation, are everything for a book success. So if I've given you any value over the years, it would mean the world. I mean the world if you headed over to my pre-order page and lock in your copy or copies. If you pre-order, I have some sweet bonuses and extras for you and your loved ones. So definitely get those bonuses. Head over to eofire.com success to check out the awesomeness today. I'll catch you there or I'll catch you on the flip side. Grow your business with online courses by jumping into Thinkific's five-day course challenge today. Over five days, you'll hear from inspiring speakers, including myself, who will walk you through the whole process so you'll know exactly where you're headed. Sign up for this free challenge today at thinkific.com fire. That's thinkifi dot fire. Flippa is the world's leading marketplace to buy and sell digital real estate, including websites, e-commerce stores, SaaS businesses, apps, and other online businesses. Get access to a free instant valuation, plus insights on how to improve sellability for your business at Flippa.com fire.